Hello and welcome to the latest instalment of the Talking Learning and Teaching podcast. On today's show, we're talking Pracademia with Di Turgus from De Montfort University. Di is an Associate Professor of Teaching and Learning and a De Montfort University Teacher Fellow, as well as being a member of the International Federation of National Teacher Fellows. Di is also an active member of the British Society of Criminology, where she leads the National Annual Award Prize for both group and individual excellence in learning and teaching. Di has almost 30 years practice experience in the criminal justice sector and allied fields, continuing to work in the field in various guises alongside her academic responsibilities. Di works hard to cultivate a learning and teaching approach underpinned by a philosophy grounded in the synergy between academic work and work as a practitioner, utilising interdisciplinary and evidence-based approaches to teaching to connect theory, policy and practice. In short, Di's focus is on authentic assessment and real-world learning at the nexus between practice and theory. Through her research-informed teaching, Di challenges conventions within her discipline, but also pedagogic conventions as part of an approach that is deeply imbued with a sense of public good. She leads a pracademic network in criminal justice and is lead editor of a forthcoming book on pracademics and criminal justice for Routledge. Enjoy the episode. So Di, welcome to the show. Thanks for being on. We're going to talk about the role of a pracademic or pracademia today. So I guess the first question really is, what is a pracademic and what makes a pracademic different to a traditional academic? I mean, are there particular skills or experiences that a pracademic has that an academic doesn't have? I know there's quite a lot there. So if you want me to repeat any of it, I will do. I think I'm okay, Kevin. Um, So thank you for inviting me. So what is a pracademic? Well, a pracademic is a portmanteau word. Um, it's made from two words joined together from the words practice and academic. So it's like pracademia. Um, and particularly today, I'm focusing in a teaching and learning context. And also the main focus, I think, because it's a vast subject, I could talk about it for hours and hours. In fact, I invariably do. Um, I'm going to be focusing on how we experience it in terms of uh, HEIs. So Pracademia and HEI is the nexus between the pragmatic real world of practice and abstract um, academia. So why is it of interest then? I think this partially goes to answer part of your question is pracademics have been referred to in the literature generically as boundary spanners, that they've got a foot or they're rooted in both camps. Yeah, so probably rooted more than than a foot in both camps. And it's of interest um, because uh, in terms of research and in terms of teaching and learning, when I've thought about my practice, I wasn't as consciously aware of what I was doing was about pracademia. I am from a practice background and I'll talk about that a little bit more um, later in the podcast. But also I was thinking about the how I have a, a pracademic informed classroom. So I use a lot of narrative storytelling. I think perhaps in HEIs we can think of pracademia as teaching very practised or STEM focused skills. It's like well, you put this in a, in a test tube and either this reaction happens or that reaction happens or you do this in engineering or you do this in graphic art. And of course, all of those right, actually make up the art of right, pracademia. Um, in my field, in terms of social science, it's quite messy. I work in community and criminal justice. 
So there's quite a moral taint to working in community and criminal justice. So it's really interesting area, but it doesn't at first perhaps feel like it can transfer like very well. Although we talk about people being employed in criminal justice education, but I think pracademia uh, can do much more than that. So I think for me, it was about I use a lot of narrative storytelling for sense making to engage students and myself in real world problem solving. Um, so I use it as like a shared kind of dialogical conversation. Um, some of my approaches have been called kind of like edutainment. I don't think there's anything wrong with edutainment. I think it's if you can find fun ways to put across what is quite didactic information, then why not? Because people learn better. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. In, I mean, I was going to I was just going to touch upon. No, you're all right. Guy. I, I interjected. That was my that was my bad. There was a number of things that you mentioned there that kind of flowed really well into the next question. You kind of almost partly answered it. But I guess you, know, you talk there about engaging students, narrative storytelling, that kind of thing. I mean, what value does Pracademia bring to higher education? I mean, why is it worthy in the HE environment, do you think? Well, I think it's of particular interest now because it's part of a wider global change. Yeah, with regard to the commodification of knowledge, marketisation, um, it's um, being visibilised almost now, yeah? So it's always been there as this thing, yeah? Um, but it's almost as if some enchilances of um, higher education have kind of gone, oh gosh, it's like they've noticed the worthiness of this. And certainly I do feel more visible, yeah? But I think it's also about you need authentic leadership. When you've got authentic leadership and they start to embody that in their strategies and learning for life, teaching and learning strategies, you know that actually people are properly taking this seriously and they really, you're not just being shuffled out yeah to uh, be showcased in one particular area so i think it's of interest um because of things like the tef um the knowledge exchange framework um re well, actually starting to re-look at what does the ref really mean what can what is the ref really asking to do and i know that i uh, lead a pracademic network but i also um lead the british crim society's uh annual teaching and learning prize and very much uh for the last couple of years it's been teams that can demonstrate working together collaborating everybody's not um the jack of all trades so that that there being a difference between the traditional academic, the person that historically um, did a, an undergraduate, did an MA, did a PhD, um, and then went into teaching and learning to be a researcher, right, has got something to actually give. And actually, I work quite closely with someone that would fit that rather stereotypical idea of a career academic. Um, but we actually dovetail with my practice like, experience in that. And I think the ref is also now we're getting a sense of this in, in, in some ATIs um, that we can actually say, well, what worth, how much worth can we really give? And I've published in these um, these 
um, high ranking academic journals if actually the audience, society, people out there in the real world aren't accessing that for good and difference. So I think, right, what worth is it is we can think about, it's not just about making our teaching accessible, it's about making everything much more accessible. It's like I see myself as uh, a conduit to um, make complex things um, um, accessible uh to to everyone to think about and to contribute to because crime and criminal justice and social justice affects everybody so i think it's about um bringing the coming together and that's the portmanteau boundary spanner i think that's what pracademics really are is that they boundary span between research between knowledge exchange the practice di dichotomy and then the academic, um, more dense theory. How do you bring that to life? How do you get people to connect with that and to um, understand not just the meaning of the theory, but how they engage with that? And um, so you can explore problem solving, experiential learning, but also things about sense of self. How do you understand yourself? and where you fit in society. And we can become aware then of conscious bias, um, for instance, and also that the way that we view the world might not be everybody's lived reality of that. And I think there's a brilliance in that. I don't think it's something that we should shy away from. I mean, there was loads to that and it was really, really interesting. I mean, I suppose in a nutshell, there seems like there is tremendous value from the pracademic community in terms of what they can give back to higher education. It was interesting when you were talking about the kind of stereotypical view of the career academic and kind of what that looks like. I mean, flipping that round, as a self-confessed pracademic, how would you define your professional identity? I mean, for example, if you could characterise your identity as an HE practitioner, what would that look like, Di? In some, so it's a good question, and I've been thinking about this because because there's there's stereotypes as well, right? In terms of what a pracademic may or may not be. Um, so I think that's a really great question. Um, so in some, I'd categorise myself under the umbrella term of pracademia as a boundary spanner. What I'd say is it links to what I was saying about it's, I'm a social science criminologist. I'm based in health and life sciences. Um, so to consider things across a range of fields. So it's not that academics can only work on professional programmes yeah, in HEI. Um, some conversations I've had historically and been part of is about um, People needing to understand what the role of a, of a pracademic may or may not be. And with that becomes, you know, assumptions that we make um, about things and people. So um, a few comments that I would hear would be things like, oh, well, you're teaching technical skills. Well, actually, we're not teaching technical skills, but there's a place for teaching technical skills, just like there's a place for, look at this test, test tube, when I put this in A, B and C, this happens. 
Um, but I think it's more complicated than that. But I do also think that there is a stereotype of career academics. So I really see Pracademia as contributing. It's one particular umbrella term that's used for a whole range right, of different people. And they might be OK about sitting under the title of a big umbrella of pracademia, but they might be third space professionals yeah, working in professional services. They might be regard themselves as lecturer pracademics um, or as dual pracademics. So but I do think that <clears throat> the general umbrella is really fitting. I do think there are stereotypes that are not helpful about career academics. So I always remember Bryony Moore, she writes a lot on risk uh, um, and risk assessment. And she uh, makes a comment, I think she's a clinical psychologist, and she makes a comment at the beginning of one of her books about, oh, well, what an academic does is they ask to borrow your watch and then tell you what time it is, yeah? And so it was all about this book's all about trying to get people to think about the worth of what worth can academics be. And I think it comes through is it, we think about just generic language that we use in society. It's like, oh, it's all academic. Yeah. As if. Yeah. It's. Um, but is it something that can really, you know, change? And, um, and my research that is published in research journals that aren't learning and teaching journals actually does make a difference um, in terms of I've um, worked on projects, for instance, when people have had really good intentions about, say, a piece of technology or this will really help reduce risk and protect victims of domestic violence. You know, and people have been quite horrified to actually find, well, the technology that you've actually devised actually puts people at risk um, and, and, and not the not the other way around. Um, so I think there's a whole mismatch of part. I think I've partly answered your question in terms of I think there are misunderstandings on all sides, but I don't see it as a, a clear you're either a pracademic or you're a career academic. I think we can all be lots of different things. And I just think there's room for everybody. Yeah, it's not just about getting on the swings or getting on the roundabouts. It's about being in the whole playground, I think. Yeah. I suppose that boundary spanning idea makes things a bit messy, doesn't it, in terms of defining things clearly? I mean, it, it links quite nicely to the next question, actually. So, I mean, you know, how do you think we can, how do you think HEIs can harness pracademic expertise i mean is it about recruitment criteria you know should we care less about traditional academic markers of success when we're recruiting staff and look at more uh, expertise gained and demonstrated in practice for example i mean what are your views on that di i've been really thinking about this quite a lot uh, kevin so thank you for asking me that question um is it about recruitment criteria and should we care less about traditional academic markers. It is a really thorny issue. Um, my view is I don't think it's about seeing things as less than, like I was saying, right? I don't think um, pracademia is about saying, hey, look, I'm a pracademia, that means pracademic, that means I'm better than, yeah? Um, I don't think it's about creating a hierarchy. And in that sort of sense, I think it's about thinking differently. What is it that we think that we're achieving in our recruitment and selection 
criteria for staff working. So there are a few things that I think about. For instance, um, we talk about the difference between experience, don't we, and competence based. And so for a very long time in industry, we've appointed people on competence based stuff. It's not always about like experience. So, you know, um, I'd like to posit out there that could that not be the same, right, in terms of PhDs? If somebody's got the potential to to get a PhD, because we put out for bursaries, don't we, for people to do PhDs, is that not a way that we can think about, oh, actually, this might be a way that we can almost um, show the or demystify what some people might perceive as a the ivory tower of academia. Is academia for me, does it smell right? Is it somewhere where I'd like to go to? So I want to be really clear about that, that, that PhDs or the potential to get a PhD, right, isn't what I see as um, caring less or lowering standards at all. I think we should consider competence base. I think universities and some in particular um, are ensuring the recruitment practices test the competence based ability in terms of uh, teaching. And it's still not a consideration for an awful lot of HEIs, but I think that that helps um, in terms of because there's a power, there's still a, there still feels like whether it's felt or it's real. Right. It feels like there's still a power imbalance. And I think actually all the senior management team and an authentic leadership team can do is actually try to give more equal pathways. Yeah. It's a start, isn't it, in terms of stuff. And um, so I really don't think it's about dumbing down. And I've said that once, once or twice already. Um, joint appointments. Yeah. Once upon a time. And I think this gets done sometimes, but it's not really in built into HEI that I've experienced. Right. In terms of building and sustaining links with industry so that we could think about this idea of joint appointing people. So it's almost kind of like perhaps I would say that because my pracademia is not that I'm not. A, some people call themselves second career academics or pracademics. So in, in many senses, I'm a dual camped pracademic because I still work in the criminal justice service uh, for a couple of agencies. Um, so I do still have that dual sort of role. Um, so I think that thought of thinking about joint appointments, it's about the how would we encourage academics into HEI on a, a short term basis, a mid term basis and a long term basis on what projects and why? And I think the, the ref can help us with some of that in terms of and also thinking about change theory and the theory of change in terms of what is it that we want and try and kind of build in the outcome or the impact, the benefit, right? Not rather than impact, the benefit um, of what it was we want to achieve <clears throat> into that. So I think that um, reconsidering what we think of as excellence, what is an excellent teacher. But I think one of the things that universities can do is like, including their PGCEEs or PGCAPs, an actual section on pracademia. So I'm quite excited that I've been invited to do that. I mean, I think it goes 
beyond how we engage with students. So Pracademia is not just about how we engage with students. It's also about what about the identity? If we can, if we start early enough when people actually join the academy, I mean, I've talked about pre-join to the academy, but when people join the academy to just talk about um, or legitimise, you've got a practice background, that's really OK. That's an academic, um, you know, um, positive to do. There's this thing called pracademia and to actually talk to the career academics and sort of say, you know, this is not something to be resisted. It's not. Um, I once heard somebody talking about criminology and criminal justice and sort of saying, um, uh, you have to be careful of professional programs. It wasn't in my own institution. Oh, you have to be careful about our uh, professional courses because it's just state expansion. So I think I think it fits um, all of those things in terms of thinking about um, joint appointments and and different forms, right, um, of uh, joint appointments. And I know in some of the literature they get called historically slightly different things. A lot of the literature is American um, as well. Um, but I think there's stuff as well about um, conflict resolutions in, in organisations. And I think in terms of, particularly when I think of my own background in social justice, and it's, it's about identity, but it's about situated learning out there, right, in practice and how we learn in society and how we learn from society and how we process that ourselves. There's a lot of that. Um, it, that goes on in academic institutions. So I know historically in the States, people like Volpe and Chandler have really seen pracademics as a being about conflict resolutionists. And again, I think it's much bigger uh, uh, than that uh, and broader. But I think they're some of the things that I would want to see. It, in induction, it actively talked about um, and it visibilized. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot to unpick there, and I think it, it does, again, quite nicely flow into the next question, which is kind of about, well, I suppose it's about things being fit for purpose and what the kind of key purpose of higher education is today and what it will be in the future and, and how that aligns to the sort of pracademic, academic sort of, you know, axis. I mean, higher education is constantly changing, and, and over time it's become far more about employability and perhaps the vocational aspects are bigger now than they've ever been. I mean, can the HE sector learn from and utilise the pracademic approach and the expertise possessed by pracademics to a far greater extent? I mean, for example, aren't people like yourself far better equipped to support students to become employable than people that have never stepped outside the academic environment, for example? I mean, I know that's a bit of a, a hand grenade question, but it'd be useful to get your take on it, Di. Ooh, might need a minute to think about that one. No, no problem. Um, ooh, there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot to that, isn't there? I think, uh, first off, what's helpful um to converse about is and particularly in my own discipline this has been a, a bugbear of a contention again it's about perceptions of what does um employability mean and what does employment mean and it's not just synonymous it's a really contested area isn't it um 
and they're not the same thing. So kind of what are they? Yeah. But then we've got QAA benchmarks that clearly earmark yeah, the importance of employability. And you can't erase the elephant right in the room about marketization and what is it uh, um, that people want. Uh, yes, they want lifelong learning. Right. And we, we have like a lifelong we have lifelong learning strategies, but also perhaps the majority or a significant amount of people will want some sort of vocational or further study. Yeah. Um, and I think it's about engaging with the metrics. You know, I think things like graduate skills, it's kind of like it's not it's not enough to just say, oh, they don't measure this, that and the other, you know they measure such and such and we don't really fit it's about engaging with the well if the metrics are actually unearthing and an inequality what are we right if we're not because i feel like i'm all about like equality and inequality in my discipline um so it's like why aren't we contributing to what is it about that how can we make that more equal yeah um that it is. I did some recent research and it was firstly, um, I was approached. Well, I was talking to people and some managers were sort of saying it was a bit of a deficit approach. Oh, why doesn't this program do very well um, on things? And actually, I went to a professional program because historically I was aware that they do like really well. I contacted them. We did some transitions research. But one of the things that they hadn't, and these are all these are people that are academics, what they hadn't um, re quite realised was because they just did it as usual business, was they had an induction at every level. They didn't call it a reinduction. I mean, they had an induction. It wasn't just at the beginning of of uh, the the year. It was all the way through, right? And I know we're getting better at thinking about transition and induction and what that means and how wide and broad and thin, yeah, it can be. Um, but it was all about that. And I asked them a question about, Oh, um, first I ask the students about their experience. How and why is it? Why do you always give this? Pro they always give this program absolutely fantastic marks. Shame it's not. It doesn't represent the NSS. Yeah, <laughs> it's fantastic uh, in the feedback. And um, and the staff just said, oh, gosh, yeah, we actually do a different in we do a different induction at every level because we have, they have different people coming from different pathways. And I won't go into the background like, of it because it's criminal justice speak. Um, but essentially, it really travels. It's got real travel with um, undergraduate traditional programmes in that. Um, we collect data on who's got a BTEC, who's got a baccalaureate, who's got an access course, who's got A-levels. But then somehow we lose that in our own transmission. Yeah. In terms of looking at how different students, I mean, there's a whole different different sets of uh, uh, identity. And I kind of see that as a Rubik's Cube. I don't want to pick on one thing in particular, but I do think right, and that was one of the things I found that's like we're missing a bit of a trick if we're not doing that in uh, in higher education um, about seeing people's in travel as something that they've experienced quite differently. 
And uh, and I'm someone that many years ago did A-levels and an access course. I was the first generation into university. Um, so it was like, right, I'm going to do everything that I can to get into university. So I did an access course and I did A-levels. Um, you know, so and I saw some of the different experiences people had about being access course and being A-level. So... I think it's all very interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think what you noted there, it's almost like that idea around learning incomes, isn't it? We talk a lot about learning outcomes, but actually what are the students bringing to that particular environment and how are their experiences, their previous experiences shaping what that particular journey and what, what the forthcoming HE experience actually looks like? So, yeah, I think there was a lot to ponder there. So I think... Um, what was quite a hand grenade question? I think you, you answered that pretty well, Di. So thanks for that. We've we've reached the last question. And we've only got, I don't know, about five or ten minutes, I guess, to, to, to unpick this. But what does the future of pracademia and higher education look like? I mean, will we see a continued proliferation of pracademics into our institutions? And if we do, what will our AT programmes look like in, say, 20 years time? I think that's a really good question because the answer is I don't know we've measured right the um travel yeah into academia in terms of pracademics but hold that thought because I'm on it yeah <laughs> uh, so I think that would be a really that's that is that sort of interest to me I think that's a really interesting thing right so it's kind of like from from what base rate um to actually will that be making a change so and I think the all the sort of like indicators are kind of there in terms of well we're looking at things like like apprenticeships yeah we're looking at things like professional programs we're looking at things um in terms of like micro credentials we're looking at CPD and I think if we don't look at things like that yeah then our, um, we're, we're almost not doing our duty in terms of the service we can provide to society, because I think we should, because I think if we don't get in doing that, then I think um, another type of organisation um, that doesn't have the plethora of experience that we have in HEIs will just move in on the market uh, in terms of that. So... Um, I think that's one of the things. I mean, I think there's a lot there and I've not, I'm not going to unpack all of that, if that's OK with you. Um, because um, I don't know yeah, what the answer is quite yet. I do think in a nutshell, we need to look at removing barriers and disincentives. I think I've already talked about that um, a little bit in terms of pracademia. And I think we need to be holistic Above all else, the future of pracademia and the future in HEIs is that we work together. So nobody's bigger than anybody else in, in the academy. But if we can work together, we've all got different skill sets. So, you know, it's every day is a school day. Right. I say that a lot. Every day is like a school day. Every day is a learning opportunity for me. And I learn best. Um, when I go and talk to people that have got absolutely nothing or seem to, on first grab, seem to have nothing to do 
are uh, with my area. But actually, I've talked to plenty of people that are into, you know, water, water purification, water supply. And they get chatting about that's a really good way that we don't have to ask people to be drug tested. What we can actually do is test the water in the locality and we'll get a realistic, yeah, take on who's using what substances in what area rather than relying on uh, people to do buy-in and um, and um, acknowledge that they're users of. So I, th I just think there's so many um, real life situations, issues in society and, and good that can be done. Um, and they're just some of the um, ways I can see that panning out. I mean, obviously, some of those things are already arriving or have arrived. Yeah. Uh, but I think for me, it's a bit like when MVQs first came in, you know, people in practice, because I come from probation service, were kind of like, well, what's MVQs going to do with anything? Right. MVQs are for hairdressers. Yeah. Again, it's back to that practical. You put this on someone's hair and it might react in this. That, that, that. It's a scientifical test tube type. But, you know, I, I then later in life in the qualifying training team became a practice development assessor and assessed students that were not yet competent to get a license to practice looking at uh, the validity of what they were doing, the authenticity, their currency. And whether they'd done something sufficiently in order to meet those milestones. So um, I think it's I think it's all that. So I think in 20 years time, it's going to look. Some things are going to look the same. Some things are going to look very different. I think distance learning will look very different. I like the idea that um, we might look at this idea of contact time and presenteeism, right, in terms of just because a student rocks up um, on campus doesn't mean that they're as engaged as a student might be online. Oh, horror, if we'd have ever thought that, yeah. But like perhaps the pandemic taught us um, something or perhaps what the pandemic did was allowed people that felt that they already knew that and had experienced that to almost like come out and say that. Yeah, because it's almost like um, there's no difference in HEIs in terms of teaching and learning that if you, you're pushing against a paradigm, you've got to keep pushing for a long time because, you know, what's held dear is going to stay as the presented truth. Um, for for an amount of time um i don't know if i've got anything oh i have got something else to say in terms of developing an institutes and networks i mean really i see pracademics breathe life into networks so like i was saying i run a pracademic network but it's for criminal justice yeah um i'm aware um, that some other networks have been starting to look at, oh, shall we have a look at this? People from industry joining. Don't th quite think they're calling it pracademia. Um, so I think there is some generic stuff in terms of um, practice informed teaching. But I also think that we're missing a trick if we don't look at things that are subject specific as well. 
And so I think to end, I would sort of say that's a notion why I resist in my criminal justice network, which international members um, have joined this to uh, level it out to like all academics, because I think the academic literature is um, much more buoyant in education, discipline, in uh, nursing discipline, in engineering. But there's very limited, I think, apart from the police who have got a traditional notion of a person going for a secondment for a short period of time into practice. And again, I think that's a, just a small part of what we mean by pracademia as the way forward. I mean, there was again, there's so so much to unpick there. One of the things I quite liked, and it's been a, a consistent theme of the last few podcasts, really, is this idea that we can't kind of work in silos. So we can't just sort of separate out the academics and the academics and anybody else and say, right, you're going to operate in your own individual little silo. It's that whole idea of, you know, it, it takes a, a village to raise a child and it, it kind of takes a whole institution in joined up fashion to to produce a, a highly functioning graduate, doesn't it, in the same way. So I think what you said about kind of harnessing everybody's ideas and expertise, irrespective of how they're defined or how they define themselves, is it's probably something I think that we all need to sort of dwell on a little bit further. Di, we've reached the end of the episode. We could have gone on and on and on. Thanks so much for being a guest on the Talking, Learning and Teaching podcast. And it'd be great to get you back on at some point in the future. I'd love to. Thank you for having me, Kevin. No, pleasure was all mine.